When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me are our transfer market insiders and pundits extraordinaire, Duncan Castles and Ian McGarry. This week, it's clear for all to see that Josie Mourinho is not a happy bunny. Just what has got on the Manchester United gaffer's goat? We bring you all the latest on the Old Trafford Club. Jurgen Klopp now has the world's most expensive goalkeeper and centre-back on his books. Is it time for the scrappy German boss to lay down a marker and win some silverware for the Anfield faithful? And amid intense speculation over Willian and Thibaut Courtois, we ask, has Chelsea become a selling club? And what does success look like for their new boss, Maurizio Sarri? Okay, guys, well, with all the video that's coming in from America, it's fair to say Jose Mourinho doesn't look like the happiest chap in the world. Uh, he may have signed three new players in Fred, Dello and Grant, but he seems to be a man that wants a little bit more Duncan and a little bit faster. Can you tell us more? Yes, I think if you watch any of uh, Jose Mourinho's video from the United States, and the video in particular, you get a real sense of this. He is not a happy man at the moment. He's not happy for basic reasons, which are post-World Cup. He doesn't have most of his key players in training. He's not happy because of injuries to um, guys like Antonio Valencia, an injury that's happened in pre-season training. Um, also an injury to one of his his new signings, Diogo Dalot, who was signed with a knee problem and won't be able to start um, for the club until September. Um, plays the same position as Valencia, so complicates things. But most importantly, he's not happy because of the recruitment he has been given so far in this transfer window. I mean, we've talked again and again through the season about the obvious weaknesses in Manchester United's squad and Mourinho's plans, um, directions to the club to reinforce them. Obvious that he needed new fullbacks. Obvious he needed a new centre-back. Obvious he needed a new central midfielder. Obvious he needed a winger. So far, he's got a fullback who, in the low, is one of the most talented for his age group, but very inexperienced and one top-class midfielder in Fred. The rest, not addressed. And he's got to the point where he's giving an interview uh, yesterday in which he um, was asked what he would expect to get in the, in the transfer window, um, in the remaining days of the transfer window, and, and said he would get, if it was him, he would get two more players. But, but also added the caveat, one thing is what I would like, another thing is what is going to happen. 
and that's very clear indicator of where he is at the moment. He's he's essentially admitted defeat on the left back. He doesn't expect that to happen. Um, he's now trying to concentrate on getting a winger in because he expects Anthony Martial um, to leave. Uh, either by the end of the Premier League transfer window or by the end of the European transfer window. And and that's, you know, one of the problems he wants addressed is he knows Bayern Munich and Chelsea have made the player offers. He knows the player is pushing to leave. He's worried that he leaves um, at the end of August when he isn't able to bring a new player in. So he wants the club to get a winger in now, um, a winger who can play on the right side, of the attack, which is something he hasn't had over these two seasons. Another long-standing problem he pointed out is the club must be reinforced this window, but he's not getting what he wants. Um, William would be an option for him. He's been told he's too expensive. Um, Ivan Perisic would be an option, again, considered to be too expensive. So unless United change their stance and are prepared to pay big fees, and we're talking over £50 million pounds for these uh, more experienced players, you're then going to sort of second tier of, of younger talents. Um, guys that are under consideration are the forward Ishmael Assar, did very well in the World Cup. Um, uh, the Nice France under 21 international, Alan Sam Maximin. Uh, Bordeaux's Malcolm, but again, Malcolm, um, the, although he's been a long term target for United, someone Mourinho identified months ago, now got to a stage where Roma have made a big offer for Malcolm and Barcelona have come in to, to try and beat that offer at the last minute. He's probably going to end up at Barcelona. So from Mourinho's perspective, the players have been identified and the club aren't doing what they're required or what he feels is required to improve a squad that wasn't good enough to win the Premier League last season. And from his point of view, really realistically hasn't been strengthened enough to give them a proper chance of winning the Premier League this season. Okay, well, I'm going to come in not with a question from myself, but a question from one of our listeners, because we're keen to involve our Transfer Window family of uh, listeners in the podcast, and we've been asking for questions. So, at I'm Nirup Dama has asked, do the guys think Manchester United can challenge Man City for the Premier League title next year, given the transfer window they are having and if not, what do they need to do? Ian? Well, the answer to um, our very lovely listener would be no at this point, uh, Johnny, because um, Manchester City won the Premier League title last season by a record number of points. We all know the strengths that they have. And you would look at the two squads um, to this point where we have um, uh, just over two weeks left in the transfer window before it closes in England and say that City are still miles ahead. Um, City still have business to do and I, I suspect they will do it. I think Manchester United, uh, as Duncan has explained, um, Jose Mourinho's wish list is far from fulfilled uh, and he believes that in order to, to challenge City for the title, he needs at least another two players and maybe three, So especially if Martial leaves. So, so I, I would say that we're in a kind of intriguing um, situation of um, development, let's put it that way, over the next uh, 16, 17 days or so, whereby um, I think we'll see a lot of industry. I'm not saying that there'll be a lot of confirmed signings, but there'll certainly be a lot of um, attempts to uh, sign players and to um, negotiate deals which will uh, 
strengthen both United and City um, in the coming days um, or in the coming weeks as well. And um, it's going to be a bit nail-biting, I think, uh, because the uh, Premier League agreed to this um, very much um, uh, <clears throat> sort of shortened window ahead of the, uh, the season starting. And also because the, the European leagues, the biggest ones, um, have a three-week hiatus, which is uh, which is going to give them an advantage. So the situation is very fluid. Um, in United's case, I think they need central defence strength and right wing, and they probably need, well, they need probably if Marshall leaves, someone to replace him as well. So um, in terms of Manchester City, I think Pep Guardiola will be much happier of the two coaches at this point in terms of the recruitment. Um, and I would say that going down uh, the Premier League table from last season in terms of the top six, Guardiola would be probably quite satisfied and not feeling particularly threatened other than by, I think, the recruitment at um, Arsenal, which I think has been shrewd and uh, and could be uh, potentially uh, challenging, and also by Liverpool, who are strengthening the right positions. I think, um, look, you, you don't want to rule anything out when the the team is led by a manager of that capability in Jose Mourinho with a history of winning the Premier League, um, with a drive to win it. It's, you've got, you know, it's going to be his third season at Manchester United. He went there to win the title. He wants to do it. He'll put everything into doing it, but... You have to be realistic and say Manchester City finished 19 points ahead last season. Um, Guardiola has not got what he wanted in the summer window. So he's in a a similar position in the sense that uh, a key um, transfer for him was to add um, to his midfield. And he's not got that. And he's frustrated by that, um, regardless of what... um, what might be said around the club and their intentions not to uh, to be drawn into an expensive transfer after failing to get Fred and Jorginho. So I don't think Manchester City will get as many points, but the gap is so large and the, and the, the weaknesses are obvious in Manchester United squad. They've been obvious for a long time. Um, you know, we, we see, really see now the weaknesses of, of the squad that was inherited from Louis van Gaal. Uh, Mourinho's only be, been able to address some of those with, with his spends. Um, some of them have been successful, some of them have been um, hit or miss, and some have failed. But if you want to win the title um, and you're not confident about the manager's transfers, then it probably would have been better for them to change the manager rather than to, to get themselves in a situation where they're not prepared to fully back the manager in the window when he says, you know, this squad isn't strong enough. You can see the squad's not strong enough. You need to reinforce properly if you want to go for the title. And there has been this underlying question throughout Jose Mourinho's time at Manchester United about the ambition of the Manchester United board. Do they really want, you know, are they really prepared to put maximum effort and the, you know, the huge financial resources? They are the richest club in England. They are you know, most of the time the richest club in, in the world available to them into strengthening the squad. Or are they happy enough to be back in the top four, to be regularly in the Champions League, taking the revenue from that and winning you know, a cup trophy on average um, every season? Um, if you look at the transfer activity so far in this window, and they do have the opportunity to change that now, um, 
but they're leaving it late and we know Mourinho as a manager prefers to have transfers done early and that's what they've, they've done in the, the previous two summers. Um, but looking at what they've done so far, the answer would seem to be, you know, they're content with where they are. Um, winning the title this season isn't a huge priority to them because if it was a huge priority to them, they would certainly have, done, have made more reinforcements by this stage. Now, I've got to say, Duncan, that's a remarkable statement um, and one which I don't disagree with. But to say that Manchester United's priority is not to win the Premier League title based on, and I understand what you're saying, the transfer business. Can you imagine the guys who are renewing their season tickets for Old Trafford right now if they were of that point of view whereby they felt that there was no real lust in the club to wrest the championship away from Manchester City? I think there'd be absolute rebellion um, amongst those fans. I think they believe it's their birthright to win that title or at least send to the challenge for it. And I, I would say you know, that that would be an incredible um, scenario for United to feel like they weren't in a position to challenge Manchester City again for the for the Premier League. Yeah, to be clear, I'm not saying they don't want to win the league. I'm just saying... No, no, I say, I understand. I'm just saying it was a remarkable thing. It's a scenario. Yeah. It is. Well, I, I mentioned that Jose was quite grumpy uh, over there in America at the start of this questioning. And one of the people he's been talking about in this sort of rather grumpy fashion is Paul Pogba and he gave a remarkable interview to ESPN where he quite frankly laid down the gauntlet uh, at the door of Paul Pogba about the expectations for the season ahead. How do you think this will go down in the Pogba camp and especially with his agent Mino Raiola? I think the most interesting part of that interview was the answer to the first question was you know, which essentially was that the way France used Paul Pogba in the World Cup show you how you can get the, the best out of Pogba from Manchester United. And Mourinho's um, kind of indignant response was, I don't think it's about us getting the best out of him. It's about him giving the best he has to give. And then he went into a lot of detail about how the World Cup probably suited Pogba because it was an enclosed camp. There weren't distractions, and we know what he's referring to there. Um, the, you know, the multiple distractions in, in Pogba's private life and his, you know, his use of social media and um, the commercial income making and just the, the, the sense that he seems, a lot of the time, he seems more interested in the stuff that goes around being one of the most expensive and best footballers in the world as opposed to being the best footballer in the world. Um, and I kind of gave him an, an out and, and a, a, a sense that, if you can focus at Manchester United in the way that you focus during the World Cup, then you can do this on the field twice a week, every week, and be the best player in the Premier League. You've got the ability to do that. In the background to this is that Mino Raiola, his agent, is still trying to find Paul Pogba an escape route for Manchester United. He's still offering the player um, to any large club he thinks might be tempted into making that transfer and Barcelona one of those clubs, Juventus another of the clubs and we've seen stories linking him to, to both of those teams in recent weeks and, and there, there's foundation to those stories because that's what his agent's trying to do um, the situation I think won't be properly resolved until the transfer window closes and we know that Paul Bogba will be remaining at Manchester United and if he wants to um, 
to show what he is capable of showing on the football field, as he did in the World Cup, there's only one place for him to do it, which is in a, in a red jersey um, in England um, as the central figure in that team. And, and, you know, everyone who watched him last season knows he's got more to give. Everyone who watched him in the World Cup saw how much more he can give. So what Jose Mourinho said in that interview, I think, is, is correct. It's um, that there's an onus on the player to perform as he is capable of playing um, and to justify his status within the game as, as a club footballer for Manchester United. I think there's a lot of risk, Duncan, um, in the way that Mourinho's responded uh, to Pogba's World Cup win. In that, uh, it's been well documented and you've led the way with regards to the information um, of Pogba's deteriorating relationship with the Manchester United manager last season and the uh, disagreements that they had uh, about his position of play and his style of play and everything else. Um, Pogba, I discern, is a very headstrong um, individual who, who knows his worth and feels like his opinion should matter. And um, being overridden by Mourinho on several occasions in terms of being told what to do and how he must do it, uh, I think grates on him. I think he's got a rogue agent in charge, and I mean rogue by, in the sense that he will do anything he thinks which will satisfy his client rather than what's best for his client's career. And um, I think the next two weeks will be quite interesting for Paul, but I don't believe that he will leave Manchester United in this transfer window. I think that's I think probably the, the kind of worst-case scenario for both parties right now. Um, because Pogba showed signs of integrating himself better towards the end of last season at uh, Old Trafford and, and also his relationship with Mourinho improved. But what I find intriguing about Mourinho's comments is that it's almost like he's playing a game of chicken uh, and who will blink first. So I will tell you, Pogba, what you need to do and then you need to respond to what I say in order for me to believe that you will do what I've asked you to. But only you doing what I ask you to will satisfy me. And Pogba, as I said, is headstrong. Will now need to make a decision about I'm World Cup winner. Who are you to tell me what to do? So I think we've got a very, very interesting couple of weeks ahead of us, where this is going to play out. Um, Pogba's on holiday in LA. He might be a little bit more loose-tongued than normal if he gives an interview to a French TV station or, or even an Italian one, someone he knows and trusts and responds to Mourinho's comments directly, then they will know where the, the, the relationship the two stand. But right now, I don't believe that um, Manchester United want to lose Paul Pogba or, or indeed they actually want to make sure that he becomes um, the kind of player that we saw at the World Cup playing for France in the way he dominated games and ran games for next season. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great um, extension of the soap opera between the manager and the player. Uh, in terms of where we are now. Uh, we're going to move one hour west along the M62 to Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp, who has signed goalkeeper Allison, world's most expensive in his position. It's the second player that he's signed in that position after having Virgil van Dijk come in as the most expensive defender. Given the money that's spent, guys, are we now looking at Jurgen Klopp coming under a little bit of pressure and no longer being the sort of happy, scrappy hero pup of Premier League management? I love your um, uh, analogy there of being a pup, uh, uh, Johnny. 
um, having a, a young puppy myself, Jimmy, who's obviously appeared in the transfer window inadvertently on a couple of occasions. He was certainly barking right now if he was here. Um, look, I, I find it interesting that, um, that, that Klopp kind of um, almost uh, joyously uh, sort of dismissed um, his own comments when Manchester United signed Paul Pogba by saying, well, if this is the fees that are going to be paid football for players, I'm going to quit. And now it's all about, well, the club said we could sign him. He's a good-looking guy. We think he's a good goalkeeper, et cetera, et cetera. Therefore, we, we went ahead with it. And that's going to be good for Liverpool. Yeah, you know what? I'm all for being kind of, you know, um, dogmatic in that sense. And um, I think all football managers need to be more dogmatic than, than they necessarily are. And, um, and Alison Becker from Roma, even at £66 million, if that's what eventually costs them, I think is a very, very good signing. Disappointing World Cup campaign for Brazil, but he showed himself to be a dominant presence in his own box, a uh, good shot stopper. He looks to me to have all the attributes which will make him successful in the Premier League. And Liverpool clearly, as we all know, and we don't need to go through um, you know, the history uh, to um, justify it, they need that player at the back. And Virgil van Dijk also has made a massive difference to them in terms of their uh, defending and goals conceded. So, what happens now for Liverpool? Well, they've gone from being the kind of, oh, everyone's kind of, uh, you know, not favourite second team, but you know, maybe third team or whatever. You know, we want Liverpool to do well because they've got this lovely history and tradition and everything else, to being a team who actually have put themselves right up there under pressure and spotlight to succeed, but not just in English football and the Premier League, but also in European football as well. Champions League runners-up last season with, you'd arguably say, not the greatest squad, not the greatest first eleven, but with a dynamic attack which got them there and certainly sustained their run throughout that competition. Now they've improved the defence in, and let's just make this clear, seven months because Van Dijk signed in January, to the tune of £140-odd million pounds, then you expect him to be a bit lot tighter at the back as well. So, with Jurgen Klopp, Puppy, though he might want to be, and he, he still makes jokes and you know flashes those lovely gnashers that he's got, um, Puppy-esque as well, they need to succeed. They need to win something. They need a trophy. And I'm not talking about the League Cup or even the FA Cup. It's got to be challenged properly for the Premier League, challenged properly for the Champions League again. And that's where this season will be different for Liverpool. Yes, I mean, I, th I think uh, some people have started to refer to Jurgen Klopp as uh, Jurgen Hippoclop. Um, whatever bullshit you say, nobody will forget it was, was one of his responses when that, that comment about um, Manchester United spending on Paul Pogba and how he would rather be elsewhere than... Um, than quit spend. football, quit football. <laughs> yeah, rather quit football than, than, than spend that amount of money on a player. He hasn't quite spent that amount of money on a player, but he has broken world records um, by substantial margins, let's remember, for centre-backs and, and goalkeepers now. Um, and um, it's all fine as long as the spending's for his team and for Liverpool. I think um, something that people might now remember, given the situation that Liverpool placed him in, is what he said in his first press conference as Liverpool manager, which was that he, would, he expected to win the title within four years of arriving at the club and this um, will be his fourth season um, and you have to say that they're in the best position they've been in terms of a squad 
to go about and do that. And the expectations there will be much higher, both internally, both from the fan base who, um, who have been expecting and been talking about title wins for a while now. They've got a lot of ground to make up. I mean, we shouldn't forget that. The 25 points is a lot of ground, regardless of them making the Champions League final the way they made it. Um, they were a long way behind in the Premier League last season, and they had substantial problems. There was an obvious weakness in them tactically. There was an obvious way to play against them, and some quite weak teams, including West Brom, took points off them or got results against them on a regular basis by playing a certain way. I don't think that's going to be as easy next season. Um, I think uh, when you add quality in goal, and, and it's a huge upgrade. I mean, I don't think uh, Alison Becker is the best goalkeeper in the world. I don't think the, the transfer fee is justified. I think it's interesting that Liverpool could have signed him uh, four, three years previously for a tenth of that cost they were offered him for. Um, but putting that all aside, he is a significant upgrade on Loris Carius. He won't let as many stupid goals in, so they won't lose as many games, draw as many games because of it. They've also, they're also a lot stronger in midfield uh, with Fabinho and Naby Keita. Um, the team is better. They will have more options uh, in, the, in the way they play. There's, a, you know, there's an open question about how Klopp responds to losing Zelko Bubac as his assistant who was very important on the training ground and in implementing a style of play to the players. The one drawback with buying this number of guys that you want to be starters and want to put straight in your team um, straight away is the integration process. You know, you are changing a lot of the team in one go. And if you've got your, you know, your tactical expert, training ground expert gone, um, at the same time as you want to integrate all of those players simultaneously, it's going to make things harder. But Klopp will not be able to get away with the, um, the expectation on him. And, um, and perhaps he'll be um, more quickly held to account for some of the things he says in press conferences than he has been in uh, previous seasons in this coming season because there will be that expectation that this is the team who perhaps have a better chance of um, of challenging Manchester City for the title than, than Manchester United do at the moment, um, and, and the kind of sort of wave of optimism and the and and the manager getting what he wants in the transfer market um, this summer. Ian, we've got another question in from a listener at Lenny eighteen seventy four. Ian Lenny, he's asking, will Liverpool sign a centre half? Uh, you look at their back two at the moment, and obviously, as I said, Van Dijk is the world's most cent expensive central defender, and uh, Lovren, according to him, is one of the world's best central defenders. So uh, do they need another centre-half? Well, I, I, I can't agree with um, Dan Lovren, despite his um, performances at the World Cup, that he is now one of the best central defenders in the world. Uh, I think at the time I did comment on Twitter that, yeah, Loris Karras is also one of the best goalkeepers in the world, if that's the case. Because Lovren's performances in the Premier League have been nowhere near um, being able to uh, cash that check that he wrote um, after his World Cup final appearance with Croatia. Uh, I don't think Joe Matip is up for it uh, entirely up there as well. And um, I do agree um, with Lenny that we should that Liverpool should sign a new 
and better central defender. Need an upgrade there, but along with Van Dijk, I'm told from people close to to Virgil Van Dijk that he has requested a new central defensive partner um, through Jurgen Klopp, so that they have a defence which is is up to standard as as it possibly can be. Obviously, you've got um, Andy Robertson at left back and uh, Trent Alexander Arnold at right back who have proven themselves to be exceptional individuals in terms of the way that they uh, can both attack and defend. Uh, with um, Alisson coming in at goalkeeper, then you really are just missing one of that back four, or back five, if you want to call it that, and that is to um, a proper uh, partner for Van Dijk. So uh, in reference to that question, I would say, yes, they are looking, but there is not a plethora of um, suitable candidates out there right now. Um, so in terms of the next sort of 16, 17 days or so, maybe look out for a kind of left wing, and by that wing, left wing as in left field signing uh, of a centre-back by Liverpool, who Klopp will hope can um, progress and become the first-choice centre-back partner for Van Dijk uh, going forward and in the sense that they need to challenge, as we said, for major trophies next season. I think I think um, with Liverpool, you've got to note that they've been pretty surgical in their transfer activity for some time now, in that they identify a position that they're weak in and they look for the player that they feel fits their system um, and will strengthen, and who they can get at a price that's, you know, they're not they're not going for cheap prices anymore, but a price that's within their scope. So you, you saw with Alison Becker that they waited until Madrid had stepped away and Roma reduced, um, were prepared to compromise a bit in their asking price to sign him. Um, Fabinho, they identified early last season, put that very astutely put that deal in place with the player when plenty of other clubs would I would certainly have a bid for him this summer if he'd still been available, but they got the deal sorted direct with the player and the commitment from the player to come, everything in place and, and had it ready to announce post-Champions League final. Um, Van Dijk, again, player Jurgen Klopp wanted, Premier League experience, definitely overpriced, very high wages, but they were, they were prepared to, to pay that for the one they want. So in the context of a centre-back, I think, I think you're right, I think they do need another improvement at centre-back. They need. They clearly need, in an ideal world, a better backup at left back. Um, they certainly need um, another central striker. And I think they're going to depend on Daniel Sturridge this season. And you know, depending on Daniel Sturridge as a backup is always a, always a risky process. But I don't think I would be surprised if they move for compromise signings in in those positions. I think they will. They'll keep um, their finances until they find. The player they want at the right price and do it on a significant deal that seems to be the, the way they're working and yes they've spent a lot um this window more than most people would expect but they did they do have you know the extra ammunition of the you know the, the huge fee that they took for philippe continuo from from barcelona in january um so if you take that away from the spending on van dyke the spending on allison fabinho Keita, etc. They're probably just about on par for a top Premier League club in terms of the extra money they're putting in there. It's not it's not as big a net spend uh, as it appears. Um, 
And ultimately, managers aren't bothered about net spend. They're bothered about what they get into their squad. So Klopp has got a lot of reinforcement into the squad. And Fenway Sports Group can say, well, you know, this is this is within the bounds of what we want to do. We're giving the manager what he wants. We're keeping the fans happy. That works for everyone. Okay, guys, well, moving down to London, Chelsea may have finally sorted out their managerial situation, which was becoming the thing of uh, something of high farce. Um, but there seems to be a lot of rumour and innuendo regarding their players and who will go and who will stay. We've already, of course, seen them sell Diego Costa and Emmanuel Matic over the years. And now it looks like perhaps William and Thibaut Courtois are going to go down the same route. The question I have for you is, are Chelsea becoming a selling club? I think that's um, a valid point, Johnny. Um Chelsea in the last five full transfer windows, and by that I mean five seasons, i.e. two transfer windows per season, have recorded an annual, uh, an average net spend of under £30 million. Most of that has been recouped, and we should you know, emphasise most of it has been come from either players who've been on loan or players who um, weren't secondary to squad requirements. So you've got an amalgamation of fees of you know, between five, ten, fifteen million pounds going out, um, and them recouping money that they've spent on big money signings. However, I think there's a worrying trend here for Chelsea fans uh, going into the new season, and that is that um, last season it was Matic to United, replaced with Danny Drinkwater. I mean, what the hell was that? Um, Diego Costa replaced with Alvaro Morata again. What the hell was that? And in this season, um, it, I think it's, it's almost inevitable that Courtois will leave for Real Madrid. And as Duncan and I discussed last week on the transfer window, Casper um, Schmeichel is the most likely replacement. So there's almost um, you know mirror image analogy of Daniel Drinkwater last season for Matic. But not only that, um, they've turned down two bits from Barcelona, one of 55 and then one of 62 million pounds for William. I'm not saying Williams is the most important player in Chelsea's squad, but he's a very effective player. Look at his stats for assists, uh, goal chances created, goals scored, pass completion, etc. And he is the top five uh, of Chelsea's squad right now. And uh, they are willing to sell him abroad, uh, even um, though Manchester United are very interested in the player. So Barcelona, I think, will eventually get William for around £65, £66 million. Pounds. Who are they going to replace him with? Well, there's talk of Wilfred Zaha. Can we really say that Zaha is a like-for-like replacement for, for William? You know, a guy who uh, played World Cup squad of Brazil uh, this last summer. Again, whose stats were great for Chelsea in the last four years. So, yeah, it's just it's, I think it's a worrying time for Chelsea fans and also draws down on the um, overriding feeling that since Roman Bramovich's problems with uh, the British government regarding his visa renewal have uh, led to a kind of almost disaffection for the club itself. And Bruno Granovsky, the transfer uh, coordinator for Chelsea, uh, seems to be quite willing to make a profit for the club and turn over a profit back to Abramovich, rather than make a football profit. And by that, I mean a squad who can compete for the Premier League title. And remember, Chelsea this season are trying to recruit players based on the fact they're playing Europa League qualifiers, not Champions League. I think, I think rather than calling them a selling club, I think uh, 
better description would be a trading club. I think um, Chelsea have been what, probably the most active English club in the transfer market for five, six years now because they're moving multiple players, some of whom never get anywhere near the first team between clubs on loan and, and then selling them elsewhere in Europe or into the Premier League um, to make money off the transfer market um, strategically. And I think that's spread into the first team in that um, Chelsea don't make as much money as their competitors. They don't make as much match day money as their biggest competitors. They don't have as much commercial revenue as their top competitors. And um, for several years now, they've not been run on the basis that Abramovich sticks £50 million in a year to, um, to make up that difference and, and make them competitive. So they, they're now in a situation where they're better players, the guys that they, they have recruited really well in, in previous years, gone head-to-head -head with Manchester United, Manchester City, etc. Got them to come to Chelsea when Chelsea were one of the two top clubs in England on a, on a regular basis competing for the title. Players like Thibaut Courtois, players like Eden Hazard, player, players like Willian, look at that situation and say, well, I know the club will cash in on me if I run my contract down. And this club's quite a complicated place to be at. The managers change all the time. It's, um, it's you know, I, I, I know certain Chelsea players are very unhappy about the environment they work in. Um, and they get to a stage in their career where that unhappiness is coupled with a realisation that they're probably not going to be contenders for the Premier League uh, in this coming season. And maybe not in coming seasons, given that... Um, given where Manchester City are, given Manchester United's ability to outspend if the board chooses to do, to, do so, given where Liverpool are. Um, so they're now making decisions on football reasons or, in Thibaut Courtois' case, on football reasons and family reasons, and, and saying, well, I'm not going to sign a new contract here. I don't want to be here any longer. I'm prepared even to take a pay cut to go elsewhere because... Um, I want to win things and I want to be happier in my um, professional and family life. And they know that Chelsea will respond to that and that they, Chelsea are not going to let a player like Thibaut Courtois or William leave on a free transfer. That, that is a big asset that they've invested in and they need to recoup money on um, when they have the opportunity. So it's like a game of chicken between the player and the club. And I mean, William's an interesting example because they have had big offers from Barcelona for him and now are in a position, having rejected a couple of those offers, that they might lose that option of selling him to Barcelona because Barcelona have gone in for Malcolm, who I think will, will come in as an alternative to William, a younger um, alternative with similar playing characteristics. Um, someone brought in to, as, as was described to me, take some of the pressure off of Messi by being a more direct player on the wing. Um, so which which would leave Chelsea with um, and William with a problem. Um, and um, interesting to see what Chelsea would do if if Barcelona secure Malcolm, if that falls through, and then um, Manchester United uh, were convinced by Jose Mourinho to make an offer for William at a lower level, um, or perhaps to roll him into a deal with um, Martial, who has who is of interest um, to Chelsea as a replacement for Eden Hazard um, and wants to leave. 
Um, obviously, Manchester United don't want to sell him to a Premier League club. But um, with Barcelona probably moving out of the equation for Williams, <coughs> that situation perhaps opens up as one for negotiation in the, in the next few weeks to solve, a, solve problems for both clubs. Ian, what does success look like for Maurizio Sarri this season? <laughs> Good question, Johnny, yeah. Um, survival. <laughs> not being yeah, sacked. Survi- yeah, not being sacked, yeah. Um, look, I, by all accounts, um, there was a big shift in Chelsea's um, ambition with regards to recruiting a new manager. Um, and that came about, as I said, mentioned before, um, when Roman Bramovich received the bad news about his British working visa. Before then, they were in advanced talks with um, Luis Enrique, former Barcelona manager, who's now agreed to manage Spain for the next two years, um, and also with their former manager, Carlo Ancelotti, who got sick of waiting around, uh, and also of the sort of um, indecision uh, at Chelsea, and took up the Napoli job when he was offered that. Sarri's kind of the accidental Chelsea manager, which doesn't um, bode well for him because it comes with that same um, caveat that he will not have a lot of say in transfers, whether it's in or out. Um, I think we said last week that uh, Jorginho came in uh, as a kind of a welcome present, but other than that, he will have very little say in what goes on. So for Sarri, um, I don't think that the club will be that bothered about him effectively playing a second-tier team in the um, Europa League. Um, this season uh, because it's not a priority and I think Sarri himself will do exactly what um, Antonio Conte, his Italian uh, countryman, did in his first season and took advantage of the lack of Champions League football uh, that Chelsea had then and therefore um, make the team as competitive as possible in uh, the Premier League title race but you have to say that he's miles behind Manchester City in terms of personnel and squad strength. I think he's behind Manchester United as well in that sense. Uh, He may also um, be behind uh, Arsenal, who I think have recruited quite wisely and and also quite quietly under Unai Emery. Um, And I think from what I hear coming out of Arsenal, the um, coaching sessions have been very positive and and I think there's a, a real sense of purpose about Arsenal for next season, which obviously has to then manifest itself on the pitch. But so far, you know, so good. So Sarri is... Um, look, the other thing as well, and this, again, comes from someone very close uh, to Chelsea, has almost no English. His communication with the team so far has been incredibly limited. The appointment of Gianfranco Zola as assistant has helped immensely in the sense that Zola is both respected as a former player and as one of Chelsea's greatest in the modern era. But Zola's personality, and I know Franco well, is a, is a gentle one. He's not, um, he's not a shouter. He's not a, he's not a general. Sarri likes to see himself as that. But when you have the general shouting to the sergeant major, and the sergeant major then translating that to the foot soldiers, it loses some of its oomph. And therefore, I think Chelsea have got a little bit of a kind of, you know, catching up period to do in terms of preparing themselves for the start of the Premier League, which, of course, is now less than three weeks away. Yeah, I think, um, I think the whole Sarri situation is a fascinating one to observe. Um, 
Uh, one of the key things that came out of that catastrophic first press conference he had where Chelsea managed to employ a translator who got key points of what Sari was saying wrong and they then had to send a, an email around um, newspapers and media outlets uh, pointing out that the, the translation had been wrong and, and instructing them to correct what they had uh, uh, on Chelsea's claim was incorrectly um, transmitted to their audiences, which is, you know, uh, a bizarre situation which I've never experienced in in football journalism in England before. But one of the, one of the things that went down nicely from Sari's uh, press conference was his idea that that football was originally a game and football should be fun, and he wanted to make it fun on the pitch. And that was well received by a lot of the fans, and it was well received by a lot of commentators. And, you know, look, look what what entertainment he's going to present for us, and you know that kind of rolls into one of the the themes of the Roman Abramovich era, which is the the sort of conflict between managers and the expectation that they should win things and and that they should play the Barcelona style that Roman Abramovich wanted, and you know Abramovich spent years trying to recruit uh, Pep Guardiola as manager to try and implement that Barcelona uh, style. In, in his team and, and has pressed uh, manager after manager to do it as well as bring young players through from the side. I think with Sari we might get the test of that because Sari is saying that his priority is for football to be fun for his players and to entertain and, and to you know play a, a Guardiola style of football. What's going to be interesting is if he does that um, and because of the resources available to him it doesn't succeed i.e. he struggles to get a Champions League place, which I think is going to be the minimum requirement for him in his first season, is to get Chelsea back into the Champions League football. How tolerant the fans are, and more importantly, how tolerant Roman Abramovich is to not succeeding um, in results when the football is pretty and entertaining. Um, and I think that will, will determine uh, Sarri's survival, because I don't see him getting a squad... Um, that he would like, um, you know, for example, Gonzalo Higuain is a player he would he would take um, from Juventus, who want to Juventus want to move him on at the moment. But I think Chelsea are seriously concerned about paying a high fee and massive wages for a player in his thirties, um, and that those kind of conflicts are probably going to continue for the next couple of weeks. Um, while Sari uh, waits to see what squad he's got to work with in this debut season. Well, one of the big stories of the week, guys, has been uh, Everton's pursuit of Richarlison, the um, Watford player, and the talk that it's going to be a £50 million-plus deal. Everton obviously already splashed out that kind of money before on Gilfie Sigurdsson, which hasn't really worked out for them. And once again, it seems like an extraordinary amount of money for a club of Everton standing to be splashing out on a player who had a very, very good first three months of the season, and then a very, very indifferent end. What's your take on this potential transfer, Ian? Well, I think we have to um, uh, invoke the new the new rule, which is the, the Guilford Sigurdsson rule, which is if you've got an average player at your club and you want to sell him to Everton, then you've got to demand £50 million, because um, it seems to me that that's exactly the um, pattern that they are repeating with Richarlison. I've no doubt he's a very talented player, and I've no doubt that you know, he could potentially be a very good player for Everton next season. But I'd like to think, um, in my experience, that we base um, values of players 
and by saying we, I said, I mean clubs, on um, on their performance data and on their uh, statistics and on their, not just on their potential and not on um, what the market value is. And to me, this is a ludicrous amount of money for a player who has not proven himself to be a consistent performer nor goal scorer or nor goal creator in terms of chances. I think he's a, what we call, Charles Nicholas would say, a flair player. So he's a, he, so rather than being a flair layer, um, which is a floor layer, he's a flair player. And um, and so it's a, I think it's a big risk for Marco Silva. Um, I mean, I know he's obviously uh, come from uh, that club, but he's, 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 you know, knows a player and obviously believes in him and everything else. But I think a 50 million pound investment at um, the risk factor that comes with it is just a bit much, especially where Everton are deficient in other positions and need to strengthen in order to make them, you know, realistic. I'm not going to say challenges to the Premier League title, but realistic challenges for European places, et cetera, et cetera, which is, I think, what their realistic um, kind of uh, modus operandi would be for the coming season. Um, and yeah, I'm just surprised. Well, I say that I'm not surprised about the fee. I'm just surprised that they'd be willing to pay it. I, th- I think um, if you look at those statistics and the, the, the things you're talking about, Marco Silva will have seen the best end of them because uh, Richarlison's season was all kind of condensed into the first half of Watford's campaign. He's probably their best attacking player with a good statistical output in that period. And, which Marco Silva was doing well at at Watford and when Everton tried to recruit him. And I, I understand that um, Richarlison was one of the players that Marco Silva had kind of intimated to that he would try and take him to Everton if that transfer, if that move, the switch, managerial switch had gone through mid-season, which of course it didn't. Um, he has prioritised the left winger. Um, they have been trying to get Wilfred Zaha, but the price... Crystal Palace were quoting was too high and the wages the player was asking were extremely high. Um, They interestingly tried to get Malcolm, um, but Malcolm uh, was of the view that he could get a better club and it seems that view has been justified by by what's happened in the the last couple of weeks. So essentially it's similar to last season in that the manager has identified a position that he wants to recruit in. So in, in Kuman's case, he wanted a, a creative midfielder and uh, identified Sigurdsson as the, as the player he wanted and pushed and pushed Everton until they did the deal. And Swansea City just waited and waited and waited and ramped the price up, knowing that Everton's ownership had potentially a lot of money to play with. And it's kind of a repeat of that process in that uh, Marco Silva said, I need a left winger. That's a, that's a key position to strengthen in. Um, I want a quality one. They failed to get a couple of players on the list, so they went to another player that Marco Silva's obviously said he would like in. Uh, from a, a a club with uh, less money available to them, Watford went into this transfer window with no real um, resources to invest uh, in new players and were looking to sell so that they could um, buy themselves. And, and Watford have all obviously milked the situation to get what is a very high fee. For, for the player, um, the hope for Marco Silva and the hope for Everton is what is the, what they'll get is a Richarlison from the first 
few months of um, of his first Premier League season rather than the Richarlison after Marco Silva left last season. But Duncan, five five goals and five assists last season for Watford does not equate to a fifty million pound fee. As much as Marco Silva loves him, I just don't see it. And I think Everton are being conned here. And uh, you know, I, I, don't be wrong. I understand the um, parameters of the the current market and how fees are inflated and everything else. But it just seems an exorbitant amount of money to pay for a guy who has had a very short time in English football and produced very little, except the promise of something greater. I think Everton are in a very difficult position in the transfer market because people see that their owners are prepared to spend a lot of money in that market. They go for Sigurdsson rule, as as explained. (laughs) They they spent so much last year. I mean, they spent more gross than Manchester United did in in last season. Um, But what are they spending the money from? From Everton's perspective, what are they spending the money for at the moment? Can they realistically get in the top four this season? I don't think they can. Um, so that they're almost spending it to tread water, maybe with the hope yeah. of, of getting closer to the top four and bridging the gap in, in two or three years' time. Um, but they know that when they go to a club and say, we are interested in your player, that club is going to put a premium on the prices because of who the owners are, uh, because they know that they've got money to burn and have burnt uh, in the past season. So um, it, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place, especially when they when they brought a new manager in who expects to be given uh, resources to work with. And, you know, it's it's obvious that the squad wasn't good enough. It's obvious that they, they recruited really badly last year. I mean, they, they, they signed Wayne Rooney. I mean, any club signing Wayne Rooney um, should know what was going to happen um, with, with that signing. Um, and they need to fix it. Um, they have to hope that, led by Marco Silva, they fix it in a way that gets them in a position to challenge um, where they want to be challenging in maybe two years, three years' time. I was going to say, Johnny, just look by comparison, though, in terms of value. When um, George Mendes is taking Jean Moutinho, a very experienced Portugal international midfielder, to Wolves for around £5 million from Monaco, and yet 10 times that gets you Richarlison. And Moutinho, okay, he's older and, and different position, etc. I understand all of that. But still, his value to Wolves, I suspect, would be much greater um, pound for pound than Charleston will be for Everton, unless he has a 20 goals plus season. It's the, it, it's the difference. I mean, um, agents who are trusted by clubs to do a lot of the recruitment are... Um, not popular in football, it's an easy subject for criticism. But what you can say is when you have a structure like Wolverhampton have, in which an agent has delivered the coach and has been trusted to deliver some of the key signings and has access to high-quality players at reasonable prices, then you get coherent recruitment. Um, you get... Yeah, that's my point, Duncan. ...build logically and, and, and advance your position. Everton don't have that. Because... But this is my point, Duncan. Moutinho was a player who only as recently as two years ago, maybe even 18 months ago, was being quoted by Spurs and West Ham. And the fee was around £25, £30 million. And yet here we are, this amount of time later, £5 million quid from Monaco because Mendes is a very canny um, negotiator but also has obviously influence over the player and club and says, there you go, there's a great midfielder for you. 
And by the way, he's like one-tenth of the price of Richarlson. Ian, just while we're on the subject of Everton, we do have a question from the wonderfully named at Bag Full of Toffee. If you're ever in doubt uh, about who this uh, chap supports, um, that name just gives it away. And he's asking, what are the chances of us losing Lukman to Leipzig? I think the chances, um, unfortunately for Everton, and this is my um, opinion of Lukman as a player, because I have followed him from his time at Charlton to his transfer to Everton um, for, I think, around £17 million uh, a year ago, and then was sent out on loan to RB Leipzig in January, during which time he has impressed greatly in the Bundesliga, in one of the um, clubs who were competing for European places. And um, his pace and his eye for goal, his um, ability to provide the final pass have developed um, immeasurably in that time. Um, he's also represented England at under-19s and 21 level. And yet, I think somewhat bizarrely and inexplicably, has been told that there's no real future from at Goodison Park. Now, when you consider the fact that every Premier League team has to have eight homegrown players in their squad of 25, you have to ask yourself, you know, why would Adam Lookman be um, someone who they didn't want to bring back, to nurture, and then to integrate into their first team? And I agree with our listener in terms of you know, the question, it just seems bizarre that a guy with so much talent, so much potential, would be, um, I, I suppose, surplus of requirements. Um, when you are spending 50 million quid on Richarlson, who is a similar player, similar uh, position, left wing, left footed, uh, why would that be a, a better option for you than... Um, than bringing Lukman back, having had his experience at uh, RB Leipzig and, and integrating him into the team rather than bringing Richarlson in, who, as I said, has a very average season for um, Watford, but apparently is trusted by the new manager, etc., etc. It just, for me, it's, it's, it's very puzzling, put it that way, Johnny. It's very puzzling as to why that would be the case in the circumstances, all things considered. Okay, well, I'm going to move us on to our quickfire round now. And uh, today we're going to look at whether or not the clubs uh, in the top six in England have their arson gear within the transfer window, or do they have the fear? Are they having a good time in the transfer window so, so far, or are they struggling? So I'm going to start off with Duncan and Manchester City. I think... Um... Yeah, in Manchester City, you could say you can't say they're in fear, but what you can say is they haven't delivered what Pep Guardiola wanted in this transfer window. Um, not get, they didn't get Fred, they didn't get Jorginho. He wanted a, a top quality midfielder to add to um, an area of the team which is fundamental to the way they play, and he needs a technician. And there's a limited number of players um, available. Manchester City have been briefing that they're not going to pay over the odds for um, an alternative player. And if they do bring someone in, it will be a, a low-profile signing. On the other hand, you've got Pep Guardiola when asked about the midfield saying, we will we will keep trying until the last hours of the window. Um, one player who Pep Guardiola is interested in taking 
is um, Miralem-Pjanic of uh, Juventus. Juventus do not want to sell the player, but Juventus are in a position where um, they are prepared to accept big offers for several players in their squad to raise money to uh, recruit elsewhere and also to pay for Cristiano Ronaldo. And Pjanic is um, one of the players that they will definitely consider selling. They've got a strong offer um, from the Premier League. Um, they have interest from Barcelona, but they think the Premier League is more likely. Um, it's going to be, I think, if Guardiola manages to persuade Manchester City to go through with that deal, then his team will be very much in gear for this season. Um, and I, I think it's it's actually a key question for Manchester City because Guardiola is under huge pressure now, not just to retain the Premier League, but to deliver in the Champions League. That's what the owners want. And a window where they only recruit is Riyad Mahrez, um, who's probably not better than uh, the players they already have in attack, is not going to satisfy the Catalan when he's under that pressure to deliver in the Champions League. So neither Arson gear or got the fear. <laughs> Duncan, he not inscrutable as ever. Okay, moving on to you then, Ian, and Manchester United. I think we're going to say in fear, Johnny, um, for the reasons... Got which, the fear, uh, got the got, fear. As in, when you're hungover and you're like, what did I do last night? You get the fear. Is that a Scottish thing? It is. It might be a Johnny thing, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, so yes, I'd say you got the fear. I think I think um, Jose Mourinho's grumpiness that we have um, explained in detail uh, confirms that he has got the fear or the paranoia of Johnny McFarlane um, with regards to what's about to happen next season. Um, like I said, it's, it's, it's obvious. We don't have to even, you know, go into detail to explicate the fact that United have not recruited um, anywhere near in terms of numbers or quality to compete with what already was a formidable Manchester City squad. Um, they need to... They, uh, they need to to recruit in central defence, at left back, possibly at right back if Valencia is not able to replicate the season he had last year. Um, Fred is going to centre midfield, which is a very good um, uh, signing for them. But also, uh, if it was Martial, then they need to cover on left side, right side of attack. Um, we know that they've um, had a, a few offers rebuffed in terms of replacements, etc. And... You know, Lukaku has to up his game as well in terms of the goals he scores. So, you know, United are not at this moment in time going to quote, properly challenge Manchester City for the title. So, I think it's the Johnny McFarlane. They are not got their arse in gear. Spurs, Duncan. Tottenham have managed to hold on to all their key players, um, and they managed to hold on to their coach. And I think that was uh, the ambition of Daniel Levy going into this window. So from Daniel Levy's point of view, very much in gear. From Mauricio Pochettino's view, I doubt it. I think he would be in fear that um, he has missed out on his opportunity to go to Real Madrid, where he wanted to go, which Daniel Levy prevented him from taking up, um, and has not as yet um, received... The, the improvements to the squad that he has made clear are necessary if they're going to um, go and win Premier League, go further in the Champions League, just win a trophy. 
Um, and I, I wonder what happens with Mauricio Pochettino if they go through another season of being the nearly boys. Um, and realistically, can we see them taking the Premier League or, or going all the way in the Champions League with the squad they've got at the moment? I don't think you can. Um, it's very good, but there are no winners in there. There's no experience of winning, including with the coach. And that extra step, um, when the squad itself will know that they're not there. You've heard people within the squad, Danny Rose last season, saying we need more players um, to properly compete. And that wasn't an isolated voice. That's a general feeling within the squad, whatever you hear publicly said by the other players, because they won't come out and say what Danny Rose said after after the way he was punished for doing it. So I think um, I think Mauricio Pochettino and I think his players will be in fear. Liverpool. I believe that Liverpool um, must and will challenge for the title. I think they're greatly improved by the um, setting of Alison Becker from Roma. I have to say, I think that particular signing, and maybe people will not feel that this is um, correct, but I think actually the improvement of an upgrading of Mo Salah's contract was actually more important than the signing of Becker because it showed that Liverpool could keep their best player, where in the past, as we've seen, with the um, allure of Luis Suarez and then Philippe Coutinho to Barcelona, they were unable to do that. I think Salah is a different kind of character to those two players in that I don't suspect that his ambition is any different in terms of his career, but I think he genuinely loves the club and wants to succeed at Liverpool. And he's young and therefore can move on at a time when he has actually done something historical, like win the league with um, Liverpool. So, yeah, I think they're they're very much in gear, Johnny. I think they are. And I think if they, if they do supplement their defence with another um, competent and combative central defender to put alongside Virgil van Dijk, then, yeah, I don't see why Liverpool will not be challenging Manchester City and I, I say only Manchester City at this point, um, come next April. Duncan, an interesting one for you, because it's a club we've not really touched on very much in the transfer window of late, but certainly they've been quietly going about their business. Arsenal. Yeah, I, look, I've been, point, I've been quoting points gaps to Manchester City um, a few times today, and I'm not even going to do that for Arsenal, because it's just so embarrassing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say point gap to fourth place, and that's 12 points. And that's the realistic target for Unai Emery and um, an Arsenal, not just a side, uh, it's a club that has been completely overhauled. Um, almost every senior position um, around that football team has changed, medical staff, uh, recruitment staff. Um, the, the only people really left are the chief executive and some of the players. I think they've, they've recruited um, well, in the context of the budget they had. Um, I think Lucas Torreira in particular um, looks very well suited to the Premier League in, his, um, in the, the energy and his tackling ability and the intelligence of his play. So if he adapts rapidly to the Premier League, that's going to be a, a significant improvement to Arsenal's midfield and the type of player they haven't had for a long time. Um, I think Socrates, uh, the centre-back from Borussia Dortmund, is a good 
solid signing given the budget that they, they had to play with and should certainly be an upgrade on what they have. Um, Bernd Lino, um, not a bad goalkeeper. Um, interesting to see what happens with Petr Cech. Um, you know, Ian mentioned Kasper Schmeichel earlier as a, as a replacement for Courtois. I'm, I'm told that Leicester are refusing any offer they have for um, for Schmeichel at the moment, and there's a, there is a suggestion that um, Chelsea will now look to Peter Cech as a replacement, an even cheaper replacement instead. Um, so I think Arsenal have improved, um, and, but I think a lot's going to be dependent on Unai Emery and, um, and how much he can add um, from a tactical perspective, um, add the things that, that Arsene Wenger wasn't providing with the game plan perspective to bridge that gap to fourth place. Um, but it's not going to be easy because you can say it's 12 points, but the teams above them are Manchester City, um, Tottenham, Liverpool and Manchester United. And for all the difficulties you can see with Manchester United, it's going to take a big um, drop in performance from Manchester United to allow Arsenal to get back above them. So kind of conservative in gear, but, um, but really where are the club... How much more has the club got to do and, and do they expect to get there this season or is this actually a, a longer-term project from their American owners? And finally, Ian, a bit of a challenge to do this in a quick-fire round, but Chelsea? Um, absolutely way behind in all aspects of recruitment, in all aspects of planning. Um, still under threat of losing their two best players, Deepak Courtois and Aiden Hazard to Real Madrid. Uh, Jorginho's been a very um, uh, I see he's a good signing at the moment because he's, he's again unproven in the Premier League which is a very different environment from Serie A um, I'm not going to go down the line of um, him not being able to perform in cold nights in northern cities because that's rubbish but what I would say is that there has to be a question mark about the pace and physicality of the game which Jorginho's not used to um, they've shown no sign at this moment in time of, of um, improving the quality of their squad um, in terms of incomings and outgoings. Um, the idea that Zaha could replace Hazard, I think, is comical. Um, he's not in the same stratosphere as Hazard. And therefore, a lot to do for Sarri if he's going to be realistically challenging um, for the Premier League title. Although, as I said before, he has the advantage of um, the fact the club did not value the Europa League um, as being something they want to win. So he will be able to rest players uh, week in, week out for Premier League games. And um, yeah, look, Sarri's an unknown as well to us in terms of Premier League football. So if he can tactically um, arrange his team in a way which competes, then that makes a difference. I think him and Unai Emery are in a similar vein here. Where I, and I, I mean uh, in that, that they can uh, apply themselves uh, to their new clubs and perhaps perhaps show that they have been shoot appointments for both Arsenal and Chelsea. Okay, gents, thanks for that. Uh, fascinating stuff as ever, but with that, I'm going to slam this particular transfer window shut. Just a reminder that we are looking for a sponsor, so if you like the idea of partnering with one of the UK's best football podcasts and talking directly to our listeners about your brand, get in touch through our social media channels. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter and we even have our own Transfer Window official account at Transfer Podcast. 
We're trying to build a community there, uh, so everyone who follows will get a follow back. If you want to talk to us individually, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane, and most importantly, our pundits are at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. If you like the podcasts, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review, as this helps us to reach as many listeners as possible. The bigger the community, the more we can give you. It's that simple. We'll be back next Tuesday before 3pm. Until next time, thanks for listening.